A few weeks ago, the last time I was up here speaking, I told, I told you a story, uh, you might remember this, of a time in my marriage, my wife Amanda, um, that was really one of the more difficult times of our marriages. Uh, it was of our marriage. <laughs> Just one marriage. Um, it, was, it was about nine years ago now. Uh, we had our first baby, and my wife was about to go back to work. She's a school teacher, and for her, this was a really, really, just the worst. It was, it was the hardest time ever in her life, really, because for all of her life, she has dreamed of being um, a mom who can stay at home with her kids. The idea of leaving them with a babysitter, even if we love our babysitter, um, it's just so hard for her because she wants to be there to see the first step and the first word and to be there to drop the kids off at school and to be the class mom. That's like what her dream has always been. And when we had that first baby and she had to go back to work as a teacher for the first time, it just crushed her. And it was, I mean, it was the hardest time of our marriage, I think. And um, that message was about how I kind of messed that up. That's not what this is about this morning. Um, But every year since then, it's been similarly challenging for her. She gave me permission to say this, but when she drove to work on Tuesday, after leaving now not just one, but our three boys behind, um, she cried on her way to work. And that's kind of where she lives in the end of August, beginning of September, maybe halfway through September. Um, It crushes her to go to work. And so when she told me that on Tuesday, Um, On Tuesday night, when I was putting um, our littlest boy to bed, I usually, the routine is, um, I go into his bedroom with a bottle, and I sit in the rocking chair, and it's quiet, and the lights are out, um, and it takes about 10 minutes, and that's time for me just to pray. And I pray for my family. I pray for Amanda. I pray for all of you, um, not individually, but like as a people, I pray for you. Um, And that night, my prayer for Amanda it was, you know, God, I know how difficult this is for her. I know how, how much pain she endures having to do this. I know she doesn't want to. I know she thinks it's unfair. Um, I know it hurts her. It really hurts her. And so, God, I pray that you tomorrow, when the kids get there finally, that you would just give her a glimmer of hope. Like, remind her why she does this. Remind her why she's meant to be there. Um, r- give her one reminder that even though it's, painful, she's in the right place, and the pain is worth enduring. Um, I want to share with you an email that she got on that Wednesday at about noon um, from a boy named Tommy. Tommy was a student of hers last year. She's a fifth grade teacher, so this year he's in sixth grade. He's in the middle school now. Um, The, you know, middle of the day, first thing Tommy did on his first day at school was send Amanda this email. Tommy, I'll tell you about him, he's just kind of a challenging kid. He's been a hard kid for all of his life. Um, His family life is not great, and you don't need to know those details. Um, They couldn't figure out. He didn't seem very smart. He didn't seem like he could do the work, and he had a really hard time reading. They found out later that he's dyslexic, and he has a hard time reading because of that, and he has a hard time learning and understanding things because of that. And one of the problems for Tommy is that um, his diagnosis became his identity. And for those of you who have issues or diagnoses like that, that's, a, that's something that can happen. And so for Tommy, it was okay that he's not doing well. He's dyslexic. It's okay that he can't read. He's dyslexic. It's okay that he can't do that. He has a disability. And so for Tommy, what Tommy came to understand about himself is that I have a disability, so I'm not worth anything. I'm worthless. And that's kind of where he lives 
Tommy. Um, about halfway through the school year, these are the kind of people who Amanda, like, just, she goes to town on these kind of kids. Um, halfway through the school year, she was working on him and trying her best and not having a lot of success. Uh, one of the other teachers in a different class came to her before Tommy came to her class and said, um, hey, Tommy cried through the entire class. I don't know why. I couldn't get it out of him. He cried the entire class. See if you can get it out of him. So uh, as soon as Tommy came into her class, she pulled him aside and kind of knelt down, got in front of his face and said, Tommy, what's going on? And Tommy told her uh, at lunch during recess, there was a situation where the kids were playing a game of word association. Um, Like what's the first thing you think of when you think of this word? And the word worthless was raised. And some other kid said, Tommy. That's Tommy, and Tommy believes that about himself, and he couldn't, he couldn't get off the ground. Like, he just cried the entire time. So Amanda uh, is right in front of him, kneeling down, and says to him, Tommy, you are not worthless. Let me tell you about how worthy you are. And she lists for him um, all of the things he's good at, all of the things that he's gifted at. You're creative, um, you're generous, you're caring, you're a good artist. Um, like you have this, like you are not worthless at all. You are worth something. And she said to him, Tommy, I love you. And Tommy, uh, Tommy said to her, that's the first time anyone's ever told me that they've loved me. The rest of the year, he was different. Um, he learned how to read. Amanda got him connected with um, a dyslexic conference in Disney World. And a kid who started the year not being able to write a sentence wrote her a three-paragraph essay from Disney World about how, how thank- so um, her philosophy of education is if you get the heart, education is easy. If you, can, if you could touch what's in here, she could teach anyone anything. Um, that's how she teaches. This is the email that she received on Wednesday at about noon. I'm going to cry because this is too much. Uh, hi. It is my first day at school. I love it. I need to thank you. You have helped me so much. You believed in me and changed me and loved me. You are why I will remember that old school. Thank you, Mrs. Say. When Amanda teaches her kids, she goes out at, with this attitude. I'm going to love them with the same love that Jesus loves me. I'm going to love them with the same love that I know Jesus loves them. I'm a public school teacher, so I can't talk about Jesus, but I'm going to love them like I know Jesus loves them. And Tommy doesn't know this, but when Amanda loves Tommy like that, she is sharing the love of Jesus with that boy and transforming his life because he's experiencing that. I tell this story, though it will win points with my wife. Um, I'm not telling the story for that purpose. I'm telling the story because that's what we're meant to do as a church. That's why we are here, to share the love of Jesus in our own way, to share that with people who don't yet know it. It's why we're kicking off this uh, season, this year like this. It's why we have it painted on the wall out there, and you'll hear about that. It's why um, 
We're doing this series right now called All In, because this year at Park Church, we want to go all in on God's mission. Like, our plan is to work together to make Jesus known, and the way we're going to do that this year and talk about this, that this year again and again um, is by helping one another to share his love with people, with people who don't yet know it. That's, that's why we exist. That's why we're a church. That's why um, we're gathered here. That's why we pay for this space and put these things on the wall. Um, that's why we do our community groups. That's why we do all of our ministries, um, is to see the love of Jesus shared with people who don't yet know the love of Jesus. That's, that's why we're here. The thing I want to suggest to you is to take it one step further and to say to you personally, that's why you're here too. Not just like in this room, although that's the case, but you're actually on this earth to know the love of Jesus and to share it with people who don't. That's what, that's what this is all about. That's what, that's what life is all about. That's actually why you're here. And that's a, that's a startling claim that the Christian faith makes. A lot of times in the Christian faith, we're made to believe that um, life is all about getting to heaven when you die. And though that's a good thing, that's not what this is about. Or you're made to believe that you have to be perfect, and being perfect is what this is all about. And that's not what this is all about. Or you have to be right all the time, and other people are wrong. Or you have to be in the right group, and other people are in the wrong. That's not what this is about. What life is about, this is what scripture says, this is what uh, the Christian faith says, is knowing the love of Jesus and then going and sharing it with those, with those who don't. And that's what you are made for. Now, you might not believe that. You might not think that. You might not know the first thing about that. Because um, there's a lot of objections to that idea. Like, the first, and this is the most like, obvious one, is I don't even believe in Jesus. Right? Well, we're glad that you're here and we're thankful that you're here. Um, just because you don't believe in him doesn't mean that you still weren't made for that. Our hope is that in coming here and being here and being part of a community group, um, you will come to believe in Jesus and come to follow him, come to experience his love and then go share it. Um, another objection to this is I might believe in Jesus, but I don't know if he loves me. Because do you know the thing I just did? Do you know the thing I did last night? Do you know the person I've been? How could God, how could Jesus love someone like me? Look, Jesus loves you. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, another objection is Jesus might love me, but I don't love anyone. I don't even like people, right? That's an issue. We've got to get that one turned around. Um, there are ways to get that one turned around. Other objections, I don't have time. And that's just an excuse because you have the same 24 hours that Jesus did, that I do, that Amanda did, and that anyone does. I mean, 24 hours, we all have the same time. Another one, I have nothing to offer. Amanda is this amazing teacher who can connect with kids and she's just like, make them cry, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I can't do any of that. I'm not, I'm not like that at all. That's, that's not me. Look, God has made you who you are for a reason with the gifts, with the deficits um, that you have for a reason, because he wants to use those things uh, to get you to share Jesus. It is, it is there, it is in you, waiting to be like, unlocked. Um, you were made for this, whether you know that or not. But one of the biggest objections to this, one of the biggest reasons that we don't, is because we simply don't know how. I don't know how to share the love of Jesus with people. The good news there is that you can learn. And that's what we're going to... Um, 
really largely talk about all year, but that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And to do that, um, we're going to look at we're going to look at uh, a story about Jesus. It's actually a teaching. It's actually a teaching that Jesus gave, um, where he talks about really the how. This is a famous story. If you've been here for a while, you've heard this a number of times. There's a time where he's teaching, and um, he's teaching a crowd of Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. Uh, Jewish people were the God's people, Israel, okay? And um, he's teaching them, and a lawyer stands up and interrupts him. And this is not like a lawyer that's like, I object. This is a lawyer who's like someone who specializes in God's law, someone who's devoted his entire life to like understanding and following and applying God's law. So a lawyer gets up and he says, teacher, and that's the way he says rabbi, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get eternal life? Now, when he says eternal life, what he means by that is not what we might think of, which is like life forever, like going to heaven after we die, although that is a part of eternal life. What he means by eternal life is actually like life, the way that God meant for it to be lived. Um, imperfect world or not, God, God meant for us to live a certain kind of life, a certain quality, a certain character of life that I would describe as like real life, like living, living life. That's what we're made for. Um, how do, I, how do I inherit that kind of life? And this is a question that I think is actually a really good question for all of us. It's a question that I think we all ask in one way or another, whether we ask it in that or not. Um, there's a sense in us that something is missing and that we're made for something more. And so we're always kind of reaching out for something that's more. I think that's what's behind all of the ways that we try to better ourselves. The way that we try to make ourselves look a certain way or appear a certain way, um, the way we dress ourselves, the way we put additions on our house, the way we get the car that's a little out of our means. Um, there's this sense in us that life is, life is about something bigger than what we are now. We're made for something more, and we just can't get it yet. And so um, we're reaching, and we don't know where to reach. And so we reach to things that we can control, like how we look and what we buy and that sort of thing. It's a good question, the lawyer asks. How do we get eternal life? Um, the key is knowing where to look, where to reach, who to ask. The lawyer happens to be asking the right person because Jesus is the giver. Jesus is the giver of eternal life. And so he asks, and uh, Jesus answers. Um, he kind of speaks the lawyer's language. He says, well, what does the law say? The lawyer, he's Good. He knows exactly what the law says. The law is like the Old Testament. Like, what does it say again and again and again? Um, and this is what it says. It says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor. You should love your neighbor as yourself. This is the commandment in the Old Testament that comes up again and again and again. Um, and Jesus hears that. And he's like, you've nailed it. You've given the right answer. Uh, do this. Do this and you will live. If you do that successfully, if you love God with all you've got, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love your neighbor as high as yourself, if you put your neighbor even above yourself, um, and if you do that, you're going to live life. That is eternal life. You've nailed it. So the lawyer steps back and thinks to himself, how am I doing? Do I do this? Um, the love God part, to be honest, that's the easy part. 
I do love God with all I've got. I've devoted my entire life to studying his law, to following his law. That part's easy. The other part, the love your neighbor part, gosh, I don't know about that. Um, I love the people who I like physically live with and the, like my neighbors, like th those people. And I love my family. Um, I love my kids and I love the people who work for me. So I think I actually might be doing pretty good in loving um, my neighbor as myself, but gosh, I'm not quite sure what he means. And if he means something else, I want to make sure I get that right. I don't want to get this one wrong. I want to be right here. And so let me, let me ask you a question. And um, this is the way that Luke writes that he asks the question. He says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? Now, when I hear that question immediately, I think of Mr. Rogers, who I know had a different question. His was, won't you be my neighbor? Um, but I think it's somewhat related. And um, if you don't know Mr. Rogers, he has like some sort of animal nephew, right, named Daniel Tiger. And I don't know if he asked, does he ask the same question? Maybe not. I don't know. There's some show. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is not that question. This is a different question. It's, it's who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Right? I can't love everyone. So what is the group? What is the class of people who I have to love in order to fulfill this commandment? Because that's what I want to do. Um, who am I obligated to love? I want to be right on this. I want to justify myself. And that's what it means to justify something. It's to make it right. When we talk about that word justify in church and theology, things like that, um, you hear a lot about like, justification um, in God's eyes. And what it means there is the same. It's to be right in God's eyes. It means to have a status of being right before God. And the problem with the, the lawyer's question here, um, and I'm surprised he doesn't know this, but we can never justify ourselves. We can never be totally right. Because we are humans. We are always going to mess up. We are always going to make mistakes. We are always going to fail. What scripture again and again calls sinners. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. We can never match up. We can never make ourselves right before God. Jesus knows that and he's going to speak to that in a moment. Um, but I have like compassion for this lawyer who thinks that maybe he's got a shot at that. Maybe he can. So in order to um, answer this, uh, this kind of sets up the scenario that Jesus is going to uh, talk to. He's going to tell a story. He's going to tell what's called a parable. And he's going to tell a famous parable, a parable that you've heard. If you've been here, you've heard it a number of times. Um, when Jesus told parables, he was a master storyteller. He would, he would find a way to paint the scenario, to paint the people he was talking to or the person he was talking to. He would paint that person um, into that story. And then he would find a way to paint himself into that story. And for us as listeners, for us as hearers, there was always a way that we find ourselves painted into that parable as well. Um, and we're going to see that in a number of cases um, again and again. And so Jesus replies like this. He replies with these famous words, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's on the road from Jerusalem, which was the holy city uh, in Israel, uh, road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, the assumption is this is a Jewish man, because every story that a Jewish rabbi like Jesus would, 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 would teach is about a Jewish man. So this is a Jewish guy. He's going on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the road... Any time that um, 
the road is kind of pictured in literature, and this is true of ancient and like modern literature, we're made to think about like the road of life, right? Like we're all like we're all on a journey, that sort of thing, um, and that's the way that that's the way it's really kind of captured here. Um, walking walking on the road from one place to another. If you were with us over the summer, we just finished an entire series on like change, on going from one place to another. And what we saw in that series again and again is how hard that can be, how hard the road of life can be. Um, Tommy was in fifth grade, and he knew how hard the road of life was. I was at a funeral just this past week on Wednesday for um, a young man who died unexpectedly. Um, they still don't actually know what happened. He was 30 years old. He was actually um, a high school kid when I was a high school leader. He was in my small group for about three years. Um, he died unexpectedly. I went to the funeral. I was a part of it. I got up front to speak, and uh, staring right back up at me was, you know, mom and dad and sister, fiance. They're staring back up at me, and I'm speaking to them about, about their son, about their brother, about their fiance. Um, and I could see in their faces, they know the road can be hard. They know life is not easy. And I know that you know that too. A lot of you know that. Some of you know that um, more than others. When you go at life, and sometimes we go at it alone, we can get lost. We can get lost along the way. We can get tired. We can get overwhelmed. We can get crushed. We can get beaten. Um, we can get defeated. And that's what happened to this man. This was a road that was a well-known road for being dangerous. Um, and listen to what happens to him. This man fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, who beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The man fought back. Um, if he didn't fight back, the guys wouldn't have attacked him like that. If he just gave them the money, gave them the stuff, they wouldn't have fought back. But the man fought back. And that's just an interesting detail because a lot of times when we fight back at the things that make our life harder, which we need to fight back at those things, when we fight back, it just gets worse. It just gets harder. Um, it doesn't get easier sometimes. Sometimes it gets worse. And I want you to think for a moment about, about the thing that you're fighting back at. Um, the thing that's making your life hard that you're trying to push away or that you're trying to fight at. I want you to think about that for a moment and then picture yourself in the position of this man here. Beat up, stripped, um, left for dead, left for dead on the side of the road. Jesus paints us into his parables. I think we're all meant to see ourselves in this man. Really, um, in a lot of ways, helpless and hopeless, left for dead. We need a rescue, like this man does. Now by chance, Jesus said, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him and went the other way. This was a religious leader. This was a guy um, who was really in charge of the way the Jewish people did their thing. Um, he was wealthy. He, had, he was from the right place, from the right family. Um, two things about this priest. The first is that he was almost definitely riding like a donkey or a horse or something, or he was being pulled by that. So for him, it would have been kind of easy. He could have just given the beaten up guy the horse and sent him into town and walked with him, um, and he didn't. And the reason that he didn't 
is because this guy was a priest. This guy had to be like ceremonially clean. And if he sees a guy who's beaten up and like, dead on the side of the road practically, if he goes near him, if he touches him, um, he's going to get his hands like literally dirty, right? And when he does that, he becomes unclean. And what he needs to do then as the priest is he needs to go and spend about a week in Jerusalem getting all cleaned up. And it's a big process, it's a big thing. And then his family and his servants, his household, they also need to um, spend about a week getting clean and whatnot. And while that's happening, he can't make the money that he would make as a priest, and he can't eat the food and have the stuff that like, the religious system would give him. Um, so for that week, this would be a real hardship. So for him to go over and to help that man, it is a huge inconvenience. It is a hassle. The cost that this priest would have to pay to help this man is simply too great. So what does he do? He goes to the other side of the road, and he walks by. The next man walks by, Jesus said, and this is a Levite. When he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side too. A Levite was like a priest, another religious guy. He was, he was a priest's assistant, more or less. And he walked by on the other side too. He had all the same rules, the same he couldn't touch him either. But there's a really good chance, the way Jesus tells the story, is that um, the Levite knew that the priest was ahead of them. So if the priest passed by, he could pass by too. And so he passes by with a clear conscience, doesn't even think twice about it. Because if the priest didn't lead him the right way, um, he doesn't need to go that way either. Jesus then continues, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan comes walking by. Now, here's a little quick history lesson on um, Samaritans. They were from kind of the northern area of Israel. They had kind of broken away from the Jewish people, and they were kind of Jewish, but not really, and they kind of worshipped God, but they didn't worship in the right way and in the right place and all that sort of stuff. They were kind of like knockoff Jewish people, I would say. Um, they weren't looked high upon. They were people from the north that came and made their area kind of messy. Um, I thought about what that's like for us today, and we can say this because it's like the fall now and they're all gone, but this is the way we think about Benny's, right? <laughs> like, they come to our area, they play loud music, and then like they mess it up and cause traffic and then go home. Um, just kidding. But uh, these Samaritans, right, um, they were really not thought of well. They were despised. Um, they were kind of like a hated people. They kind of messed everything up. They were looked down upon. When a rabbi like Jesus would tell a story like this, um, the way it usually went was this. Priest, Levite, regular Jewish guy. When Jesus tells this story, it's priest, Levite, Samaritan. What he's doing for the people who were there um, hearing it for the first time, and they would have gotten this instinctually, um, he was painting the huge contrast between like, the holiness, the goodness of these two men and then just the low, low, low despised status of this Samaritan. While he was traveling, he came near to him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. When the priest and the Levite saw him, they went to the other side. The Samaritan came near. When the priest and the Levite saw him, they decided to look the other way. But when the Samaritan came and saw him, he got closer. He got down on his hands and knees to see him. He came off of the horse, off of the animal that he was riding, and got down low with him. When the priest and the Levite saw him, they were cold and they were unaffected. When the Samaritan saw him, he was moved with pity to action, to take care of him. 
the word for moved with pity there. This is one of our favorite words at Park Church. Every year we find ourselves up here talking about this word numerous amounts of times. And it's kind of a crazy word to say. Um, it's the word splunkizomai. And it comes, it comes from the world of like animal sacrifice. When they would cut an animal open, its guts, its bowels will, would spill out. Um, and what that was was called the splunkna. And it was kind of weird and it's kind of a funny word. Um, but what this, what this word is meant to evoke is that feeling that you get inside of your stomach, inside of your bowels, when you see someone who you love hurting or in pain and your stomach just gets tied in knots or you, you hear news and, you're, and, and your bowels just get twisted and it's actually like a physical movement inside of you that compels you forward to action and um, it's the word for mercy. It's the word for pity, the word for compassion. It's the word for love. And this Samaritan man who had no obligation to this Jewish guy, who is naturally the enemy of this Jewish guy, the Samaritan man who shouldn't have even been in the story, he's the one that gets off his horse, that goes down, that kneels in front of him at his level to take care of him, to have compassion on him. And here's what he did. He went to him and he bandaged bandaged the wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. That's what he had with him. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. He didn't look away, but he went to him and he got closer. He climbed down off of that animal Uh, And he picked up the man with his own strength and he put him on top of that animal. He switched places. He switched places with him. He used what he had, the oil and wine. He used what he had at his disposal um, to take care of this guy, to to fix this guy's wounds. And then when he brought him to the inn, he, he took care of him on his own and then he paid the price that it would cost, that it would take to get this guy back to health, to heal him to see him back up on his own two feet. The good Samaritan, as he's called, puts on this costly demonstration of unexpected love, appearing suddenly from nowhere, from outside of the story, and he comes to act without prompting, without being asked, without being goaded into it. He comes without prompting to save, to heal, to redeem, to make new, to give life to that which was left for dead. It's painfully obvious how Jesus paints himself into this story. Jesus paints himself into this story as the one who has come from the outside, who has come from out of this world into this world to redeem to heal, to make new, to, um, to save. Without reservation, without condition, without waiting for us to get our act together, without getting it all straight, even while we were still enemies, the New Testament says. That's what Jesus does. He's painting himself into this story so that this is first not a story about how we are made to be different kinds of neighbors or who we are meant to reach out to. This is first a story about how Jesus has become our good neighbor. It's first a story about what God has done for the world, 
what God has done for each and every one of us, what God has done for you, becoming your good Samaritan, rescuing you where you were beaten up, saving you where you need saving, um, healing you, redeeming you, giving you life when you were left for dead. If you have any doubt in your mind that God loves you, let this story be the thing that tells you. When you are dead on the road, God has come to rescue you. He did that in, uh, in his son on the cross, cost him everything. And he did that for you quite simply because he loves you. Not because you're worthy, not because you did something right, not because you're the right kind of person or the wrong kind of person, and certainly not because you can justify yourself or make yourself right. He did that because he has pity for you. Because when he sees someone that he created, when he sees someone who he loves in pain, separated from him, dying or dead, God's heart is moved with pity because he loves you. That is why we love this word here at Park Church. That's why we teach it every year. It's why we love this story and we'll do it again and again. And you'll hear about it again and again. Because in the center of this story, in the center of the Samaritan's actions, at the center of the very being of this, of this man in the story, um, this is not about a Samaritan being a good neighbor. This is about God's own heart. What we meet in the Good Samaritan, at the center of his being, flowing out of his bowels that are moving, what we meet there is the very heart of God himself. Now, I haven't even gotten to the main point of what I want to say this morning. That's all appetizer. Here's, here's the main point. When you love like the good Samaritan loved, you show others God's heart. When you have compassion, when you are moved with mercy to care for others in the same way that he did, you will share the love of Jesus with those people. I put it as simply as I could make it. When you love like he loved, you share God. When you don't write off the student who's difficult and who's challenging and who um, no one else can figure out, when you don't write him out, write him off. But when you get down to his level, when you get in front of his face and tell him what he needs to hear and um, address him at the heart, when you do that, you share God's love. When you do that with the people who you encounter, when you look at them in their pain, the people who are, who are in your path, who are in your life, who are on your road, when you see those people and don't ignore it, when you see those people and don't walk the other way, when you see those people and don't go the other way, but when you take the time to stop, to get down, to use what you have, um, even at great cost to yourself, when you do that, you share the love of Jesus with other people and you show people who Jesus is. Remember, before I told this story, the purpose of this is to talk about um, how we don't know how to share Jesus. Well, this is how you share Jesus. This is the way that Jesus himself prescribes for you to do it. Look at how he continues. He asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And of course, he's right. Notice, Jesus has changed the question. It's no longer, who do I have to love? That one's easy. Uh, that answer for Jesus is you have to love everyone. Whoever's in your path, whoever's in need, whoever you have to walk around to get to where you're going, and that person needs your help, that's who your neighbor is. That one's easy. The, the 
The real question is not who is my neighbor. The real question is to whom must I become a neighbor? Who do I need to become a neighbor to? Jesus says when you get that right, you go and you do likewise. Because Jesus knew when you go and do likewise, you will show people who he is. You will show people God's own heart. Um, when you do that, you will experience life, real life. That, that is what we are about as a church. Going and doing likewise. Sharing the love of Jesus with people who don't know it yet. And so I want to ask you the question um, that Jesus is really raising here. And it's the question I just said. To whom do you need to become a neighbor? To whom do you need to become a neighbor? Is it the kid in your class that no one will sit with and who gets made fun of? Or is it the student in your class who has no hope and who everyone has written him off? Is it the guy at work who's struggling with that thing and he's sabotaging his life? Is it the mom who you met who is struggling with how to have kids and how to raise them? Is it the guy who you see again and again and again who is constantly getting in your way? Um, is it your literal neighbor who lives on one side of you and whose life is just a disaster and they don't know the love of Jesus? Is it that guy? Is it the guy on the other side of you, your other neighbor, whose life is awesome? Like, it, it, he, he has everything that you think you could ever want. At least that's the way Facebook makes it seem. Um, but he doesn't know the love of Jesus. Is it that guy? Who, to whom do, you need, whom do you need to become a neighbor? What's it going to look like for you? It's going to look different for each and every one of you. And really, we're going to spend a lot of time this year asking that question. What does this look like for, um, what does this look like for us? It's going to look like using what we have to love people. It's going to look like... Um, going into situations or places that maybe we're not comfortable with. It's going to look like getting our hands dirty. It's going to look like getting low and, and helping people. It's going to cost you something, but what it's also going to look like is real life, eternal life, the life that we were made for. Who do you need to become a neighbor to? Go and do likewise. My challenge for you this week is simple. I want you to think about the answer to this question. Think about the answer to that question. And when, you, and when you have the answer, and when you see that person this week, don't go to the other side of the road. Don't walk the other way. Instead, this week, take a step towards them. Take a concrete, one concrete step to love in a way that you haven't before. Um, to act out of compassion, out of mercy, in a way that maybe you never have before. Um, that's, that's, that's the challenge this week. Think about this and do that. And when you do that, you will show them God's own heart. You'll show them who God is. And that's, that's our hope as a church. That's what we want for this year, to follow in the Good Samaritan's footsteps, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and learn to passionately and compassionately um, love where you live. Love, love wherever you find yourself living life, Love those people there, the people who you physically live with in your house, the people who you're neighbors with, the people who you work with, the people who you commute next to, the people who you teach, the people who are in your class, the people you see at the, at the store, at the coffee shop, again and again and again. Um, our vision here is it's to work together to make Jesus known, 
And the way that we're going to talk about that, the way that we're going to do that this year again and again and again um, is to move this community towards um, compassionately loving where we find ourselves living. And so all of our messages, all of our series or events are all going to be geared in this direction. They're all going to be um, kind of moving in the same way. If we as a community, as individuals, as groups, as an entire church, if we take steps towards that by the end of this year, you know, world ends June 2019 or something like that, um, we're at the pearly gates and God's like, what'd you do this year? And we can say confidently, we loved where we lived. That's going to be a year well spent. That's what we're aiming for this year. That's why it's our theme for the year. That's why we're kicking off this year, this uh, series, with this message of going all in for God's mission. We want you to join us this year in doing that, in walking the path that the Good Samaritan walked, um, in order to love people, in order to take care of people, in order to show other people who Jesus is by sharing his love. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have come uh, into this world to be our Samaritan, to be our neighbor, to save us, to rescue us, to pick us up off the road um, when, we've been, when we've been beat up, when we've been crushed, when we've been left for dead, really by our own, our own sins, the sins of others, the sins done against us, the ones that we've participated in. Lord, we can't hope to or pretend to or think we can justify ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right. And so uh, we want to give up that hope. We want to receive your grace, your justification. We want to receive that and be thankful for it. And God, we ask that you would help us um, to know and to understand and to connect with, with, with your love so that we can go and share that with others. Um, you said that the way to live life is to, is to love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and so we pray that we would do that. We pray, God, that as you send us out of this place, um, as we kind of set the tone, set the path for this year, we would be a community committed to sharing Jesus wherever we are in the way that we love, Lord, inspire us to do that. Give us creativity, um, ideas we hadn't had before. Help us to use what we have at our disposal. If we think we don't have anything to offer, Lord, show us that we do. Make it, God, so that this church, Park Church, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist for ourselves, but truly and solely exists for the world around us. We pray this, Lord, in your, in your Son's most precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.